0: Welcome to Severance Radio, a Nevada Reads on air book club. I'm Heidi Kaiser. Over the course of 13 episodes, Severance Radio will dissect a single book Severance, the satirical dystopian novel by Ling Ma. This book is a mixture of immigrant family story, corporate satire, and global health crisis. It's also the story of Candace Chen. Candace is a millennial first-generation American office drone who meanders her way into adulthood and ends up finding a world devoid of choice and feeling. During our live weekly radio broadcast, listeners heard an excerpt from the audiobook, followed by discussions featuring literary luminaries, educators, and subject matter experts. For our podcast listeners, we leave out the book and cut straight to the conversation. Think of this as your own personal book club in podcast form. If you haven't read Severance yet, that's okay. These conversations are meant to serve as an accompaniment to the novel. Though, full disclosure, some of our guests, in addition to making insightful points, do indeed hint at plot spoilers. So read the book. Okay, got your book? Great, let's get started. Is it still okay to laugh when the world as you know it is consumed by pestilence? Joining us to talk about humor in a time of crisis are Kristen Arnett and Scott Dickensheets. Arnett is the New York Times bestselling author of the debut novel, Mostly Dead Things, and a 2020 Shearing Fellow at Black Mountain Institute. Dick and Sheets is the deputy editor of Desert Companion, the quarterly magazine of Nevada Public Radio. Dick and Sheets has edited, co edited, or contributed to eight volumes of the Las Vegas Rights Anthology series. Hear them discuss the meaning and value of satire amid a
1: pandemic. How are you doing?
2: I'm all right so far, but the day's young.
1: I think that's like pr- pretty much every day now, right? Like somebody asks, like, How's it going? And then it's like, Hmm, how is it going?
2: Yeah, life in the pandemic spider hole now requires this long trail of of sort of diminutive explainers about how you're okay but you're not really okay and so that's how I am.
1: Yeah, I would I would say I'm definitely in the same boat. It's kind of this thing where I mean it's a good it's a good time for us to be talking about humor <laughs> as a device in art right now because I think that's something we're all really utilizing. So it feels especially poignant.
2: Yes, there, there might even be a desperate edge to it uh, at some points.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's something where it's like, the more I've been thinking about it, the more I've been considering, like, thinking about humor as this, first of all, so personal to, right, well, to the person who's utilizing it, but also, like, to the person receiving it. Uh, like, you know, some people when they're dealing with, you know, stress or anxiety or grief or loss, like quickly turn to it, which I feel like I'm in that category, but then other people like really turn the other way. Um, so it can be like, especially dicey, like when trying to like work humor into different things, like, you know, cause already humor is subjective, but like really, what does it look like when people are not in the mood now?
2: Yeah. And as somebody who was a, a failed class clown, my first impulse is always to try and, and um, you know, wedge a, a, a humorous perspective into something. And so there's always this sort of back and forth of reading their visual and verbal, nonverbal cues about whether or not they're ready for, you know, to joke about being stuck in their house for, you know, 150 days or whatever it is. So, um, so there's always this sort of like negotiation in my head about, is this the right time? Uh, but the impulse is never not there.
1: Yeah, definitely. Uh, It's like a thing too, where it's like the things that I was getting humor from previously, like I still get humor from, but I really feel like recently I've been leaning way more into like the absurd. Living in such like a surreal kind of moment in time is like made like my humor kind of like really pushed into a space that feels like truly absurd.
2: Well, I think an uh, an appreciation of absurdity is just is just one-on-one now for dealing with this with this situation. But it, to my way of thinking, it, that was kind of always part of the toolkit because everyday life, even before the pandemic, was always throwing weird juxtapositions of things at you. Uh, so one, one quick example, uh, not long before lockdown, I was sitting on the patio at the, uh, at the writer's block and there was uh, some guy across the street, a homeless person, uh, the kind of people that society's de- deemed disposable, was shouting about uh, how the end times were coming and we all had to go to boot camp. And then a few minutes later, I went to Terry Tempest, to hear Terry Tempest Williams talk. And to my memory, you know, her message was not all that much different. Um, and so you can view those as sort of unconnected events if you want to. But if you want to understand why society serves up both of those phenomenon to you, a healthy appreciation of absurdity is kind of like a basic survival instinct.
1: I definitely agree with that. I think they're right. Like they have, they have like a handhold. Like they definitely have like a t- like touching points. Like they kind of like pull out like strings of paper dolls. Like right where they're just like they're connected in those kinds of ways. I also think like for myself, like a person who is extremely online all the time. Like the way I'm interacting or like watching other people react with things has been through like, right. Like this kind of absurdist lens of consumerism, which I think fits really well into like, you know, like, like severance itself. There's this like kind of like through line of like really rampant consumerism and how like, what's like an idea of like, what's consumerism versus what's art versus like, what is funny. I, I, I don't know, like, right, like, online, like, brands, like, right? You can watch, like, Hungry Man Dinners tweet, like, about, like, the pandemic at you, which is, like, seems right. so wild. But it also, right, is, like, hand-in-hand hand with these kind of things, right? Like, consumerism, branding, capital B brand, maybe, and then, like, how we are continuing to ingest it in this way that feels continuously more and more absurd.
2: And one of the things I like about Severance that I really appreciated was... Sort of, it gives you like a, a satirical, like behind-the-scenes glimpse of how consumerism works. And so you have something as exalted as the Bible, which is what candace is in charge of producing, and and yet the processes that go into it are so strange and mundane and weird. You know, the sourcing of gemstones and and the way she 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 mentions that the materials used to produce the Bible are also used to produce like consumer goods for mall stores. Uh, She refers to the materials once as, as, you know, awful or something. So, um, and so that's like this really satirical, you know, sort of backspin on the whole, uh, you know, what's behind the consumerism that we're all sort of like engaging in here. But behind you, behind that, there's this weird, satirical, dryly told story that uh, I found very, very funny.
1: Yeah, I definitely, um, I grew up, like, my family's extremely evangelical, like, very right-wing, like, conservative Southern Baptist, and for, like, my sixth grade birthday, I received this, like, I mean, because my family didn't have a lot of money, but they, like, my big gift that year was, like, a teen Bible that was, like, Corinthian leather like teal green and I had my name embossed in it and had like teen stuff inside of it and I remember at the time being like even at the time being like I can't believe this is my big present this year that I'm getting this thing so reading this and like it really was like such a connection for me because even at the time I was like this is extremely absurd that this money went into this with the thing that I was already having problems with as like a young closeted teenager um Then uh, reading this in here and like being like, oh, like this is exactly the kind of Bible with like a with a gemstone attached or some kind of thing that would be like gifted to me. And it felt like I truly felt like I was being taken back in time. It made like I was having like a really wild connection with it. That was funny, but also like because remembering back to the time period kind of sad like I remember getting that Bible and being like so sad that that was the gift that I got and that's like a thing I think that this book does also really well it's like not afraid to like have these like spots of humor inside of the lens of grief um because I I mean I just think that that's a thing that that feels like so necessary quite often, especially in places where it's like overwhelming trauma or overwhelming grief or overwhelming loss. Um, Right. Like that idea of like making a joke at a funeral,
2: which is exactly what's happened at every funeral I've ever been to. Um, You know, you sort of afterwards, if, if the eulogist doesn't tell a joke afterwards, everybody stands around and and sort of jokes or speaks lightheartedly about the deceased as a way to sort of process the grief, get it through them and out of them. Um, And, you know, and the same goes on other fronts as well. I saw an interview with Trevor Noah the other day in which someone asked him, you know, with, in regards to the George Floyd uh, protests, like how do you find humor in systemic racism? And he's like, I don't find it there. Humor is how I cope with it. And uh, I think that probably, you know, circles back both to the the pandemic, to the racism issue and to, the myriad of, uh, of griefs, large and small, that we all have to deal with just by being human.
1: I think coping mechanism is like a really great way to th- to think about how we access humor, especially in moments of like we were talking about like trauma or grief, because like there's the, like, right, there's this like kind of line that gets like, there's like a, a line that gets that is ridden like, right, like when like the things feel, start to feel like too much, right, they're either going to tip in a way that's like, into like a really bad way or there's this has to be this punch through like this punch through of levity and like i think in that like contrast even in life and especially in art like having that contrast between like here's where the darkness sits and how that works and like the 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 spotlight of light of levity and brightness in there like not only works to like like give a moment a pause or breath or like you know or even like kind of turn the conversation it's head for a moment it also like does this work of like it shines a light on the darkness too, because like when you have that moment of light, it allows you to have a contrast.
2: Yeah, it's kind of like the you know humor is like the stone you throw into the dark pit to see how deep it is, and um, that's how I've always i mean, I've I've used it that way, often uh, in moments of terror or you know agitation or, or fear or you know anxiety. It's just it's just my, part of my basic humanity and every and everybody's I presume well almost everybody's there are of course some notably humor humorless people in life and in the book
1: that's that's very very true right like I mean I think it's a I think it's like a just a really fair point to think about like right like the the humorlessness, and sometimes I find that to be almost as funny as like the people who do have a sense of humor I'm extremely drawn to characters who first of all are like control freaks or like they never get the joke like like okay like you know, pun intended, the straight man, you know, like, I am always, like, fascinated because there's always, like, right, there's, like, the kind of, like, person who just doesn't get it or is so serious about something, and there's definitely that in this book, I I feel like, with Bob, like, Bob, to me, is, like, so weird and problematic in a lot of ways, but he takes himself so seriously that it's, it's, like, very darkly funny.
2: Yeah, he is, like, the paragon of, of not having a sense of humor. If you think about humor as something that implies perspective, An understanding of 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 the disjunction between the expected and the actual um and he he has no sense of humor so he has no coping mechanism other than things like you know these weird rituals that they go through and you know his his need to control everything that's his coping mechanism and it's far more destructive than you know than a joke even a badly timed ill-considered joke um but at the same time I, you know one thing about humor and the and and the the gap between the real and the expected is like bob doesn't isn't totally without understanding that because he knows that if he told them they were going to a mall because in their chapter 15 that the facility turns out to be the mall if he told them they were going to the mall the, the followers probably would have deserted him but given a name a, a gravity laden name like the the facility you know he's 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 exploiting the gap between the real and the expected.
1: I was thinking um back to what we were talking about earlier um thinking about like the idea that like the absurd or like the mundane maybe which features a lot in this book but also has been like a really prominent feature like just like socially right now. Like there's such like there's a pandemic, there's so many things going on with regards to protesting and different like terrible things happening and Yet, at the same time, kind of being trapped in a house can make it feel like none of it has, like, a sense of reality to it. Or it can kind of feel like this kind of absurdist, mundane thing. But in reality, like, a lot of this stuff is, like, really serious. It just feels so far removed being, like, kind of cooped up inside a house and trying to decide, like, you know, am I eating, like, the same bowl of soup for the fifth day in a row, you know?
2: (laughs) Well, as someone who's eaten ramen for about 15 straight lunches, uh, yes, I can – I have – a very tight grasp of what you're talking about, um, and again, you know, mundanity, mundanity is so um, so richly encrusted around us that you know sorting through it is also just requires a sense of humor, um, and one thing I really liked about the book uh, to bend back towards Severance is the way that she uh, she has a really sharp eye for picking out the mundane things. And then listing them in a way that pulls out how absurd they are in reality so when she she talks about the art girls or some of her co-workers and she refers to them as possessors of discounted mu and prada holders of degrees in art history or visual studies frequenters of gallery openings swishers of pignot, nibblers of canapes and those are all sort of like mundane things that people do but when you compile them into a, a a precisely weighted list like that spe- and specifically in sort of the flatness of the you know the uh, the passive construction she uses it really brings out a the sort of humorous/silliness or absurdity of it especially in comparison to like what we know is is now going on in the in the world of severance which is the shen fever.
1: Yeah, there's a lot of really exceptional use of like just pinpointed specific language in this text that is doing like not even like double duty i feel like triplicate kind of duty like really good work because just just through, through like like word choice and selection like something that would seem like more mundane like we were talking about has this kind of glimmer to it that's like Mm -hmm. leaning it towards the absurd but then also takes us back into the absurd again like as a reminder especially with that kind of thread of like consumerism running through it like you know the idea of them like winding up at a shopping mall (laughs) is like honestly like peak humor to me because there's there I mean I love like George Romero and I love like a lot of like I love like all of the zombie movies so like Dawn of the Dead to me immediately was like right there for me to kind of pick up on but the parallels between like the you know the mundane everyday of being like there's no like dire threat occurring within this world really like when we compare it and contrast it to like you know the idea of like zombies literally beating against the door to get into a shopping mall like this isn't what's occurring and it's been like called like the idea of calling it like the facility for this many times and then getting there and realizing what it is that they've been moving toward and it being like a shopping mall is like Truly, like the parallels do like, like you have like the mundane, the weird flipping glimmer of humor in it, and then back to the mundane again.
2: I like what you were saying about uh, the way she uses words. There's a point where she refers to um, her mother's Alzheimer's by saying that her mother's brain has been, quote, flea bitten, quote, unquote, by Alzheimer's. And to me, that's like the, I can't think of a better word. It's like startlingly apt. That's how I think of Alzheimer's is taking your memory in tiny little nibbles and yet but she it, she uses it so offhandedly that um they're just like this it's just like a brilliant use of the word and and i just love the feeling of a, of a word that's been perfectly like measured and weighed and set in place to do that kind of work um and so that's that was a to me an example of what you were talking about of her, her very careful word use
1: it is um like the scene too where they're in uh in the uh that apartment and before all of these things happen and they decide they're going to have that dinner party with the shark fin soup but is it even like a shark fin the kind of simple line of absurdity or strangeness that runs through that entire dinner party has this like quality to it that's like so surreal but honestly to me feels like a lot of dinner parties that I've been to right it's like a mismatch of people and like some people are drinking and then then people other people are drinking and the fact that she like abandons her party and like kind of like and attempts to escape it and at the same time and how she even gets the job with uh with at the Bible company is through this man that she just is kind of randomly hooking up with. Like it's like kind of this like very random series of events which feels so funny and surreal, but also is just quite often how life works, right? Like a series of connected events that makes it like, and here's how I ended up in this space.
2: Which is you know, one of the funniest things of all is like and that happens to everyone. I mean everybody has Behind them, a long sequence of of non sequiturs that added that adds up to where they are, and um, and to so to see it reflected so sharply and and beautifully in literature is one of the things that makes this book, I think, so compulsively readable.
1: It's it's uh and it's I just was continually impressed by just like the spaces where humor was allowed to sit and not be like really in your face like. I think that it's like it's definitely possible that people are reading this book and are like thinking of it very you know very seriously and don't see the humor in it, right? Because I think there's so many different types of humor and how people connect. Um and for myself, I love when there's like these moments of like right the the darkness of like her continuing to go into work over and over again and perform these like meaningless actions of going into an office where literally no one is there anymore. She's like continuing the routine and behavior, which feels so poignant and specific thinking about like the way that we do those routines or even right now, how we can no longer do those routines, right? Like so many of us like, aren't going back into an office and like what that looks like and like people being like wow i wish i was back in that mundane routine of going back into my nine to five job and sitting at my desk doing the job i hate you know so it's like it's fascinating and i think deeply funny um but I, i wonder how many people are like you know like that's not funny
0: Thank you so much to Kristen Arnett and Scott Dickensheets for helping us find humor in the mundane and absurd. Severance is a 2020 Nevada Reads book selection. Nevada Reads is a statewide book club that invites readers from across the Silver State to come together and share in the love of reading. Severance Radio, a Nevada Reads book club, is produced by the Beverly Rogers, Carol C. Harder, Black Mountain Institute, and Nevada Humanities. Support from the Nevada Center for the Book, the Institute of Museum and Library Services, the Nevada State Library, and the National Endowment for the Humanities. Our engineer is Phil Corbett. Our writer is Sada Ortiz. Production by Lily Allen, Mir Arif, Stephanie Gibson, Kathleen Kuo, and Leila Muhammad. And I'm your host, Heidi Kaiser. Thanks for listening.